You're listening to I Fucking Love This Record, a music podcast hosted by me, the Derek Care of You. I hope you enjoy the show. And I know, baby, just how you feel when we talk about 1984, the sixth studio album by Van Halen. It was released on January 9th, 1984 on Warner Brothers Records and was produced by Ted Templeman. It was the last Van Halen record to feature singer David Lee Roth until A Different Kind of Truth in 2012. It reached number two on the Billboard 200 album chart and remained there for five weeks behind, you guessed it, Michael Jackson's Thriller. The album was certified diamond by the RIAA in 1999, signifying 10 million shipped copies. Our guest, is he for real? It's so hard to tell. Along with having a PhD, he's a musician and songwriter. He currently plays guitar in a German Americana country rock band because Germanicana is not a thing called the Cute Urchins, which can be found on Spotify plays bass in a blues cover band, and is a part of a songwriting duo called My Saving Grace. Welcome to the show, Michael Harnish. How are you doing today? Oh, fantastic. We're in a little bit of a lockdown and quarantine now that Germany's um, COVID numbers are going up, but otherwise I'm doing great. We're going through the same thing here in Poland. So the entire country was listed as being a at least a yellow zone, a few red zones there. And rumor has it that the uh, that Wrocław, the city that I live in, is going to become one of those red zones very soon, which uh, is not very exciting for me. But uh, hopefully everybody will do what they're supposed to do, play it safe, and maybe we'll get some holidays out of this. We'll see. Yeah, precisely. All right. So tell me, Michael, how did this album enter your life? Um, the first time I listened to the album was back in eighth grade. I have to thank a classmate whose name was Paul Mancini, who introduced me to the album. Actually, ironically enough, at an eighth grade dance, which is kind of strange because you wouldn't normally expect Van Halen to be obviously a, a played at an eighth grade dance, except that this was really probably their first album, which was very much mainstream for um, ordinary kids, I guess, is what you would say. Yeah. So I'm trying to remember what grade I would have been in. I think maybe sixth grade when this album came out. So I was 12 when this album came out. I picked this up just because of Jump. You know, that was released and it was just a super catchy single, which we'll talk more about when we get into the track by track. I like to consider Van Halen to be my first favorite band. This was the first band I actually went back with. So I had owned a couple of records before this one. I wasn't a big music buyer when I was a kid. Family didn't have a whole lot of money. And I had a few things that I, I, the first thing I bought with my own money was Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. I love rock and roll, but I never went back with Joan Jett. I, I, after I had that album, I liked that album. I didn't even think about what she may have released before. Earlier in the year for Christmas, I had gotten the Jay Giles band Freeze Frame, and I liked that album a lot. And I never went back to see anything else that they had done as a you know 11, 10, 11, 12 year old kid. So it was uh, Van Halen was the first time I actually went searching because I remember the older kids at the bus talking about how they didn't like this new Van Halen because of the keyboards. And so I was intrigued. And unlike any other time, I went ahead and started going backwards. And so I picked up at some point, I either begged, borrowed or sold basically their back catalog to that point. And not a band that I went really into the future with because I was a big David Lee Roth fan more than anything. With the first two with Sammy Hagar, I don't remember if I own those or not. I remember listening to them. I didn't hate them kind of like in a knee jerk reaction or anything. But while this is not my favorite Van Halen record, this is a very special record to me just because I really feel like this began my love for music as a fan, as opposed to just more of a casual listening to the radio kind of person. Yeah, I can understand that. I um, think Van Halen, this was probably one of the first albums that I also started digging back through their back catalog. Prior to the Van Halen, I think I bought 
pretty much random albums. If I look at what I purchased, it was, uh, I'd have an album by the police and an album by John Mellencamp. And then I had the village people and you name it. But I think once I started getting into Van Halen and Def Leppard, I started working backwards through catalogs. Unlike you, I carried forward. I think I've owned every album up through balance. And after that, I gave up. <laughs> um, yeah, for various reasons, and I, I really don't want to spend the evening hating on whatever came after. But yeah, I just I never really had a desire to follow anything after that. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I didn't really care for the uh, Van Halen three experiment. We'll leave we'll leave the poor guy out of it. That that's the, yeah. the, the singer out of it. So let's go ahead and jump into our track by track analysis. So we have side one, song one, nineteen eighty four. And so the album opens up with just a, a very short instrumental track. So there's no words on this one. There's no other instruments except for the keyboard. This, I really feel, announces what this record is going to be like. And this is going to be a little bit different. I think this is a message to the fans. You're in for a different ride this time. Now, I want to say on every album before this, or at least most of the albums before this, there was at least one instrumental track, and it was always a guitar solo. A lot of times that solo would lead right into the next song, you know, such as like little guitars, instrumental goes right into little guitars or eruption going into You Really Got Me. And it it had a real flow to it, but it was its own track. It was, it was never just like an extended intro. It always had its own grooves on the record, right? And so they did that here, but there's no guitar solo. Well, there's guitar solos within the song, but there's no independent guitar solo but opens up with the keyboard solo which is okay it feels super dated in that it's supposed to sound futuristic in 1984 <laughs> i like the song well enough it's just over a minute it doesn't wear out it's welcome it's not like he's doing some goofy three minute long keyboard jumble at the beginning it's just sort of like here's some of the sounds you're going to hear on this record if you want to complain about it you know i don't care and what are your thoughts on 1984? Yeah, I guess um, futuristic is how I would have described it then. I still think it feels kind of futuristic, but in a, in a retro way, I feel like it brings up ideas of science fiction, but also sort of that Buck Rogers 1980s kind of uh, feel to it. I really enjoyed the fact that they do announce that this album is going to be different essentially with this track. I think I spent the first maybe four or five years, um, not even paying attention that it was not part of Jump. <laughs> to me, it was always like the extended intro to Jump because most of the time I was listening on the actual um, album or at that time it was a cassette tape and they would just roll right into each other. And I think it took me quite a while to realize it was its own separate track. Same here. Yeah, it wasn't until I think it wasn't until I picked it up on vinyl back in the early 2000s that I realized that that really was legitimately an independent track. Let's go ahead and move on to track two, the big number one hit single, Jump.
what are your thoughts here? Yeah, yeah Jump um, blew my mind at the time because obviously it's this um, mixture of synthesizer. I mean, that that really has the dominant tone through the whole and um, drives the song forward. At the time, it felt very modern. It still feels modern and it's kind of, a again, a retro way. I listened to the track again today and I'm still impressed at how well the synthesizer sound holds up. It's one of these things where it's clearly artificial and at the same time, it has this uh, beautiful flow that goes throughout the uh, album and sort of just blends into everything they're doing. I guess the other thing that really blew me away initially when I listened to this years ago and still impresses me is just the sound of the drums. There's just like this huge um, sound to them between the the toms. And I always, uh, I kept listening to it today and realizing on uh, the album itself on the uh, vinyl, the cymbals are really far forward in the mix. So what happens is when he hits the cymbals, while normally you'd expect something that's like really brash and harsh, that's not there, but it's like they jump right out at you. So it's, it's, just strange because I've I've gotten so used to sort of the cymbals blending into the into the whole drum set and here it just kind of ju- jumps right out. Yeah, this song is catchy as hell. It's I think it still holds up even though this gets you know you can still hear this randomly on the radio today and I still like it. I'll listen to it all the way through. It's not one of those like eh, I'll catch a little bit and then kind of keep going. If I hear the song, I'm listening to this song and you hit it right on the head there because the keys get all the attention because obviously our, our our guitar wizard is now playing the keyboards and you know some people felt not happy about that but the drumming on this song and on this album is so great and really gets overlooked you don't hear a whole lot about the drumming because the keys were so forward and i just and i love the drums on this one because like you said it's just they're out there i hadn't really picked that up about the cymbals but and this is funny because um this my mom loves this song and my mom hates david lee roth my mom and because i was a kid and i thought david lee roth was the coolest human being on the planet. And that was it. And my mom thought he was just an old pervert, but she loves the song. And if this song comes on the radio, she will turn it up and she will drive fast. Now, my parents have been divorced for a million years. My dad wants this song to be played at his funeral. He loves this song. It's the only thing really? I think they agree on, even though I don't think either of them would ever admit it. And I don't know if they listen to my show anyway. So I feel like I can say that. So that's one of those. <laughs> it's the only thing that bridges the gap between my mom and my dad. And I still despite the fact that my mom loves the song and my dad loves the song, I still love this song. And it has uh, just so much going for it. And I, I miss the video or like, you know, I love the video and David Lee Roth was the coolest man in the world in 1984. I don't care. Yeah. I don't... And I, I completely agree with that. I think that the song still has a tremendous amount of energy to it. Um, I, I find the lyrics very engaging because the fact is they're, they're simple, but at the same time, the message to it, um, the entire song just sort of conveys that whole sort of upbeat and energetic. And I, it, it's funny because while this was quite a, turn from maybe what Van Halen sounded like before, the actual theme of the song fits very well with what they had been doing. Oh, yeah, um, definitely. The other thing I, I like is the fact that the, even though the guitars play sort of second fiddle here, the guitar parts that are in it are really great. Like the outro part with just that sort of chug, chug, chug sound he has there, I just, I still love. I find it um, so compelling and it's so simple at the same time. And I I think that this being kind of a keyboard record is a little bit overstated. So let's go ahead and move on to track three, another single, Panama. I can barely see the road from the heat coming up. Reach down between my legs. Ease the seat back.
And this has just a great opening riff. I'm sure there's some keyboards in this. I don't hear any keyboards, at least not overtly, like you hear with Jump and you hear with another song later on. This would have fit on just about any Van Halen record you could have asked for. It's super catchy. I love the tribal drumming. It reminds me of an earlier Van Halen song that is just escaping me. <laughs> I was going to look it up, uh, but yeah, I just love that kind of the, just those pounding drums and the whole thing. And this is such a great party song. Like, you know, you may not want to play this at an eighth grade dance, but you can put this on at just about any party. And, you know, I'm sure some people will complain because people complain about everything, but not a lot of people because this song fucking rocks. I actually, when I wrote down my notes, um, I sat again, like I said, I sat down uh, this afternoon and listened to it on vinyl again and was just writing down a few notes. And my, my first note was OMG exclamation because it's just the, the song is so powerful the guitars are so like ballsy and it's got this saw like sound to it and just i mean it's it's the epitome to me of um i guess a Lee, david lee roth era van halen it's just everything i would want in a van halen song the story that i read recently about this is you know somebody had accused him of only writing songs about um you know partying drinking and cars or something like that and he's like that is not true i have never written a song about a car great idea here's panama <laughs> <laughs> and then it's all has all the uh, double entendres about sex oh yeah of course because that, that, one of the things i remember about playing this record when he when there's that kind of breakdown part and he's like you know oh you know you reach down between my legs oh, yeah. and ease the seat back I would start talking very loud. So I thought, you know, so my parents wouldn't hear that, (laughs) which at the time as a 12 year old, I thought that was super clever, but I'm sure it was, you know, my parents probably just laughed like hell later on, but that, that was, I would always do that because this is another, you know, this song was on all the time just because either it was on my cassette or the video was on or. Yeah. That part of the song um, that sort of leads into the solo and that vocal part is probably my favorite piece or part to any Van Halen song they ever produced i mean mm. across all the different eras just because it's got this it's the it's the sound it's dave's voice it's just that that um seduction kind of um tone to the whole thing and and the, all the double entendres but then on top of that it leads into this solo and the, and then eddie's guitar tone is this moaning low just ballsy fantastic thing i don't know how else to describe it it's just so fantastic to listen to i'd never get tired of it and it's just like the perfect van halen song in three minutes and 30 seconds <laughs> just, yeah you, know, you can't say too much more about it than that so let's go ahead and move on to track four top jimmy What do you think here, Michael? Top Jimmy is interesting because the first part of the song I appreciate as a guitar player, even though I can never play like that. But it, to me, the first part of the song feels like um, he's uh, Eddie's completely noodling. When you listen to the song again and again, you realize he keeps coming back to sort of those motifs and those parts get integrated into the rest of the song. But I always got the impression that this was one song that was turned into another. Mm. Um, I don't know if that's true, but that that first part. But then once the song gets in, it really starts cooking. Um, I find it rather amazing how fast paced the lyrics are. Just the the actual uh, frenetic sort of frantic 
pace the song is both played at, but also um, the impression it gives you. It gives you sort of this uh, rushed feeling and you get this um, impression that this is somebody who's really frantic and this is somebody who's really uh, on top of things. I love the guitar at the beginning, like you were talking about, like the instrumental going into it. I like a lot better than I like, let's say, the meat of the song. And this was a song I liked a lot more when I was 12 or 13 years old than I do now. I do like the pacing of it. Uh, and this is just, this is one of those songs that Van Halen tends to do, uh, even on their older records, that has this just a different vibe to it, uh, where it doesn't come across, even though the rest of the guitars doesn't come across quite as hard rock as, let's say, Panama or a yeah. few of the other ones, because it's got a little bit more of a, it almost feels like a show tune, not quite, but in that kind of, you know, this is where Dave gets to be a little bit hammy, I think. Yeah, uh, that's, I definitely feel like uh, th this, this feels more like Dave's song than anybody else's. Definitely. And the connective tissue, because then it go, he goes back to that guitar sound from the very beginning, what, uh, you know, so after the first verse and into the bridge or something, and then another time. And I really like that. I like that, like that song, I like more than the actual middle part of the song, even though that middle part, even though this, let's say the, the actual song is still pretty good. And this was a song I really liked when I, like I said, when I was 12 or 13. And, and now it's like, that's yeah, good. Not on the top of the list at this point. Yeah, I can, I can agree with that. Um, I, it's funny because when I listen to the song, I think back years ago, it, made, it was one of these songs that made me uh, feel like I have to throw things out the window while listening to it. <laughs> because it was just so frantic and it made, it was like high energy. Now, yeah, it's, it doesn't really set me off quite as uh, the same way. I still appreciate sort of that two parts to the song, both that, that intro and that theme that keeps getting um, introduced. And then the other part, it, I, I actually really like the fact that Dave is like, I mean, he's just going 100 miles an hour at one point when he's singing. That's for sure. It doesn't really feel like it's been rebuilt. It feels like that was kind of on purpose, but maybe, and like you said, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't read anything specific about that song. Yeah, I have no idea. Let's move on to track five, Drop Dead Legs. <laughs> Basically, this one is okay. The vocals and lyrics are not quite as great. This one just feels undercooked to me. And it's the longest song on side one. Uh, you know, it's like Top Jimmy is not even three minutes long. This one stretches out past four minutes, which is not too long for a Van Halen song, but there's just, you know, I know that they were under a lot of pressure to get another record out. I know that they had a big deadline coming up. There are a couple of songs on here that I feel a lot of people feel are maybe a little bit undercooked, not quite as uh, what they could have been had they been given another, you know, five months to record or something. I can see why they dropped this one at the end of side one. It's not a bad song. It's just not a song that now doesn't appeal to me very much. This song just sounds kind of tired. Uh, which I didn't quite notice as a 12 year old, but I, I listen to it now and I just feel like, why is this, why is this song four and a half, you know, four fifteen as opposed to, you know, given another 30 seconds to Tom Jimmy or something. So what do you think here? Yeah, I, I, it Drop Dead Legs is kind of um, an unusual mix for me because I don't really identify that much with the song. I never really, the song never really 
um, appealed that much to me in terms of lyrically or anything like that. However, once you get to the outro and the solo on the outro and just the riff um, they're playing and all of that, to me, that's like a perfect way to end the side. It's like it works fantastic on an album where you have to flip over because it, it just has this great feel that goes right out of, it's like a, uh, just carrying right out of the end of the side. And that whole part of it makes the song for me. The rest of it, I mean, I guess it's not terrible. It's, it's Van Halen, but at the same time, it's not something that I would listen to except for that last maybe minute. So the, the, when you say four minutes is a little long, it's like the last minute's the best part of it. And I could have done without the rest of it. I would agree with that 100%. That brings us to the end of side one of Van Halen's 1984 on I fucking love this record with my special guest, Michael Harnish. So Michael, in the intro, we talked a little bit about your uh, German Americana country rock band, the Cute Urchins. Why don't you tell me a little bit more uh, about this, this project? Yeah, I, I'd be happy to. It's a kind of a little bit of a serendipity. Um, I, I, you also mentioned, and I had I'd put in the bio, that, uh, that I play bass in a blues cover band. And the funny thing was that this blues cover band is, is very basic, and it's, it's, it's meant to be, it, it's nothing fancy. And so essentially, when I started playing with that, I said, oh, I need to find myself a, a a guitar because I was originally recruited to play guitar with them. And I said, I need to find a guitar that isn't quite so flashy. I, I want something really basic. So I went looking on uh, eBay and I found a guitar and bought the guitar from somebody who was just down the road and said, oh, I, I maybe I can come pick it up. And he had said, yeah, you can, you, you're sure, come pick it up. You can probably hear it. You, you might want to hear it. It's been on an album that we were recording. And he sent me these links and I thought, I'm not going to listen to that. It's probably uh, like death metal because I'm figuring it's a German death metal band, which is the cute urchins when you listen to the name. It doesn't make a lot of sense, this death metal. But I figured, oh, I'm, that doesn't really appeal to me. And then I thought, no, because he's going to ask me what I think. And so I'm, I'm not going to be a jerk and be like, oh, I have no idea. So I listened to it and it was really quite funny because it was like completely up my alley in terms of what I write. I tend to write things that are folky. Uh, with a little bit of pop and like this country rock thing. And so I fell into that. And I just, when I went to meet the guitarist to pick up this guitar, we started talking and I started telling him how much I liked the album. And he, he said, well, why don't you come by and you could, you could try playing stuff because we, we want to actually have a second guitarist. And so I showed up and I played my sort of country blues rock stuff and it just kind of fell all together. It's a little bit like a mixture of, I guess you would call it a throwback to maybe 1970s country California rock, which would be sort of like along the Eagles and Jackson Brown and things like this. And it's quite interesting because everybody comes into the band with a different background and sort of a different set of uh, both the skill set and taste. And when everything was put together, I listened to these and I listened to all these parts and I'm like, wow, this is really cool. Uh, so we've been in the process of recording our first album as a whole group. They had actually started recording prior to me joining and then prior to the drummer joining as well. But at this point, we've put together most of the tracks for an entire album. And we're hoping by the end of, say, 2021, we should have the entire album done. At this, at this point, I think we have five songs that are up on Spotify. The interesting part is, and this is prior to me joining, they had recorded a cover of uh, Lying Eyes by the Eagles. And if you follow anything on YouTube or anything on the internet, you'll discover that the Eagles hold very tightly to their catalog. They give almost no one permission to record or use their music. And when they submitted the sample to them, Don Henley said, 
sure, that sounds great. And so they got the okay from Don Henley to actually release the the single. And that's a big nod to everybody. I mean, that was a huge compliment. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. I didn't know that uh, you had stuff that could be listened to until today. And I was doing other things and didn't get a chance to visit. So I will be happy to listen to some of that stuff. So let's go ahead and flip this bad boy over. We have side two, song six, yet another single, Hot for Teacher. What are you thinking here, Michael? Boy, this song, and there's so much to it. Um, to start with, the drums sound like some kind of uh, idling um, motorcycle, which I love. In fact, I just every time I hear them, I think, God, that's just an amazing sound. Then you kick in with this opening riff, and you've got sort of Eddie at his best, which is this mixture of rhythm guitar with all of these fills, and then throwing in all of what he does best. So all of these runs and tapping and all of this is sort of built into the entire song. The actual song is also very playful and also very, very much Van Halen, right? The, the, the <laughs> themes, uh, everything about it is just so Diamond Dave, that humor, that uh, irreverence. And just in 1984, it was kind of pushing the boundaries if you really think about what the song's saying. But on top of that, it's, it was just perfect for probably when I was in eighth or ninth grade. It's on the juvenile side. I'll, I'll give you that. And I have to know if anybody else thought, like when I, the first time I heard this, you know, I flipped the cassette over and that noise that started coming out, I thought for sure my cassette was broken. Uh, that first time I'm like, what? And then, you know, then the rest of the drums come in and, and it, it is an amazing sound. I love just that opening with the drums. This one, I think, gets beat up a little bit because of the subject matter. You know, the fact that it is a little bit juvenile, you know, so people will kind of dismiss this song. Well, you know, there's more, there's more to Van Halen than Hot for Teacher or something. I've seen a couple of things like that. Of course, it has the, you, know, you have to have Dave just with the random, at least one song has to have Dave talking to somebody, you know? Yeah. yeah, whether he's talking to the engineer and it's more kind of just an ad lib thing or this, you know, the but I just I remember my cousin who also had this cassette and we, you know, I was I was living in Florida and he was in Michigan and I'd come to visit for the summer. I'd gone up to, to visit Michigan in the, during the summer. And I can't tell you how many times he's like, I got my pencil. You know, that was just my cousin's thing. He couldn't get, couldn't get enough of that. Yeah, I still quote on. the, yeah, yeah exactly. I, I still <laughs> quote it all the time. I mean, I mean, I'm a teacher at an international school and none of my students get the quote. Probably a good thing given the subject matter, but it's just, I constantly, I'm like, I've got my pencil. Give us something to write on. And they, they just, uh, to this day, I mean, how much, it's almost 40 years later and I'm still quoting the album. Yeah. And the music on this is great. Like you were talking about everything that Eddie Van Halen was known for, he does in the song and none of it comes across as being unnecessary. None of it comes across yeah. as being too much flash or, or whatever, which, you know, he earned the right to do that if he wanted to, but he always felt like for as, as amazing as he was and as flashy as he could be it always felt like it was still in service of the song. I don't think it ever overwhelmed what everybody else was doing. And again, we can talk about how great the drums are on this. And, uh, you know, I think Michael Anthony was a, was a fine bass player, I suppose. But uh, you know, it's when you're in a band with <laughs> Eddie Van Halen 
David Lee Roth, and even Alex Van Halen, it's somebody's going to get overlooked. I mean, you're, you're more likely to hear about Michael Anthony's harmonies and backup vocals than you're going to hear about his bass playing, because that's really what he brought to the band was uh, was the, the background vocals. Yeah, I, I think um, Michael Anthony is very underappreciated. I, I remember for years people saying, oh, the guy just plays the root note. Uh, how pathetic. And, you know, as I tried listening more and more to what was really going on in the album over or i mean any of these van halen albums over the years plus the more i got into just playing guitar over the years i realized what he's doing is let's eddie do what he does so for example um michael will stick to the root notes which lets then eddie play all of these inversions and play all of these runs and at the same time the song keeps going and what you end up with is this really interesting bit where Eddie sounds like two guitarists playing because essentially Michael Anthony is carrying the song and all of that by himself um, while Eddie is doing all these fills. And I just, I find that really fascinating and I never really appreciated it. And I think part of the, the trick is the mixing is done in a way that the bass parts don't always sound completely like this slow thumping bass. So at times I would be like, is there even a bass in this? And I would realize that it was just so well blended and they were essentially these um, chords they had built together that it's all seamless and you don't even notice uh, Michael Anthony playing, which is, I guess, a, a compliment in some ways. But yeah, the, the song is just, it's its so amazing when you get into the, the verse and the chorus dynamics and the way Eddie alternates between sort of playing this laid back and sort of like funky rhythm in the verses and then it, it hits in just full of like this muscle laden riffs in the later chorus or later verse and into the chorus it then becomes much faster um, i just love the way he kind of goes from one eddie specialty to another and like you said it's it's got everything and not too much of anything yeah it's a it's a really nice run through the song and 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 still a fun one, even if it is, you know, said a, a little on the juvenile side. <laughs> but you, you got to have one of those. It's like in, it's like complaining about ACDC having juvenile lyrics. It's just that's what they do. Yeah, and and I think the thing is that that's part of um, what people loved about the David Lee Roth era of Van Halen, and that that's really what sets him and um, Sammy Hagar apart is that the lyrical content and the lyrical complexity is like light years apart. Yeah, it's still Eddie and it's still the rest of the band. But I mean, Sammy Hagar is singing about um, much more complex things and, and much deeper. And Dave is uh, singing about, you know, having the hots for his teacher and, and driving around in the car. And there's nothing wrong with that. You got, got room for no. everybody. We're going to move on to track seven. I'll wait. talk of this being kind of a keyboard record this is only the second time we're mentioning we're going to be mentioning the keyboards on this record so this yeah. obviously has the big key hook to it it sounds very different than jump so it wasn't really trying to do this whole bouncy thing this was a little bit more towards like those new wave glassy kind of keys uh, while still being in a hard rock song 
I love this song. This is my favorite song on the record. And I think always has been, or, you know, maybe after the initial blush with Jump. And as much as I think Panama is great and, and Hot for Teacher is a lot of fun, really, I love this track. The drums on this, once again, are so good. The toms, it, just the way he played. This is, I, I'm not a big air drummer, but man, I air drum every time I hear this song. <laughs> In my notes, I wrote down the, I, the toms. I love that sound, but it's very 1980s. It actually reminds me of the Phil Collins sound. Yeah, it's it's a dated drum sound a bit, so it doesn't quite have that that same thing from In the Air Tonight that obviously, uh, you know, everybody tried to kind yep. of do something along those lines, but got a, a like a really good groove and a ton of power. And this is more of a maybe a power ballad, not quite. It, it seems it's not nearly sappy enough to be in that ballad category. And it's more about just what almost like a stalker kind of a song, somebody who falls in love with a model. You know, his vocal performance, because he sings this one pretty straight. There's none of that Dave Ham bone thing going on just i think this is a terrific song and i didn't realize this was released as a single until just recently i had no idea i don't think i've ever seen the video for it though i could have just maybe forgotten about it in, in between just the, the the big three with jump and panama and uh, hot for teacher all had such iconic videos i don't remember this one at all and i love this song and i'm afraid to go check it out because who knows maybe i'll recognize it and oh yeah i forgot about that but uh, what are your thoughts here michael to start with i would probably call this my second favorite on the album so we're in agreement with that panama is uh, ahead of this just because of the I, I mean just everything about panama sure um the thing is that this song is probably the most sophisticated lyrically and i always thought it was it was quite strange because i thought geez that's so different from everything else and then when i was going back through this album when we had talked about okay let's discuss this album and so i said okay i'll, I'll listen through it a few times more get really really reacquainted with it and started reading on that particular song again because it just stuck in my head i was like god this is just so not dave and it turns out it's co-written by michael mcdonald it wasn't credited that way for years yeah yep. and when i heard that i went okay now i understand because i think dave does fantastic in terms of the delivery i think yeah it does have sort of a, a little bit of a dark sinister side to it and at the same time is so compelling and it has at this at the same time a little bit of this ballad kind of feel to it but it was so non-dave and so i thought that was quite interesting and when i realized that it was it had essentially been co-written by well either your my favorite doobie or the person that most people think ruined the doobie brothers depending on who you are it didn't surprise me there um in terms of the sound i think the guitar yeah the guitar takes a back seat through most of the song but then when you hit the guitar solo it's so perfect it's got this slinky feel to it and it's just got this this great groove and just this this uh tone that fits perfectly with the song and so it's it's like th in this case eddie played exactly what he was supposed to play to support the song oh exactly and i love the the keyboard run that's in this one as well and it's just i think just on a different level and than a lot of other things on this album and this this is one that does feel fresh and it makes me wonder if maybe they would have had another songwriter or two in for a couple of these tracks if uh if that would have made a little bit of a difference and an already fantastic record and one that was huge for them so it's kind of hard to complain <laughs> about something that was so successful that you could see just with the the thought of that them being a little bit burned out uh, mainly just with each other 
and how that could have uh, how that could have played out. So uh, yeah, yeah, the whole Michael McDonald thing was really something that I just found out about. I think this week. <laughs> yeah, and then the the other thing is that I find interesting is this song is probably the clearest transition of what the fifty one fifty sound was. Yeah, uh, th- this is caught somewhere in between. That's for sure. All right, then. So let's move on to our next track, Girl Gone Bad. What do you think about this one? This is my least favorite song on the entire album. There, there's nothing wrong with it. It just doesn't really ever do anything for me. Uh, for the longest time, I would skip it. When I had a cassette, it was easy enough to just kind of listen through and not pay too much attention because I really, actually, we haven't gotten there yet, but I, I like House of Pain. It, it just never really appealed to me. There's nothing too terrible about it. I, I think actually Eddie's guitar playing is fantastic in it. It's just the, the actual subject matter and the actual song just doesn't do it for me. Same here. Uh, I put this on with Drop Dead Legs, where I feel like this could have used another run through. Again, not a bad song, not one that I would necessarily skip, but this is even one now. Like I wrote zero notes for this. <laughs> uh, I have nothing particularly good to say about it. I have nothing particularly bad to say about it. It's the only track on here that I have to really think about it to catch a melody. Like I don't remember what yep. the song sounds like. And that is not true for almost, I mean, like even, even Drop Dead Legs, I can kind of get because it's, you know, it's got a little bit more of that, that funk to it, yep. uh, which I don't necessarily mean in a good way. But with this one, it's like, it's not a bad song, but it just, this feels like, you know, somebody fed the first five records into an AI and this is what they came, <laughs> what the AI came up with. You know, it's like, yeah, here, that, here is a generic Van Halen song and there's just nothing, just, there's just nothing special about it. And it's another one that's, and why is it four and a half minutes long? I, you know, yeah, like, I mean, that's probably part of the problem, right? It's, it's so long and it just doesn't, it, it never did anything for me. Yeah. So let's go ahead and move on to our final track, track nine, House of Pain. I really like this song. This one, this one rocks. This is a, one of those kind of overlooked. And I think when people ask, you know, what's your favorite song on this record? I think there is a certain subset of Van Halen fans who will always say House of Pain because it just goes out on a fucking balls out rocker. My only kind of complaint about this one is it doesn't feel like a last song. It always feels like this album just kind of ends and it doesn't have like any kind of that because there's I, I'm a sucker for a slow closer, as I've said a million times, and I don't necessarily want a slow closer for a Van Halen album. I also love the big booming, let's get out of here kind of like, boom, we're going to go out with just everything. We're going to throw everything at you. And this doesn't do either of those things. It just, it rocks, but you could have put House of Pain, I think literally anywhere on this record and it would have fit. It would have worked. I can't think of any song I would prefer to have as the last song on this album. So it's a very, very minor quibble on an otherwise great song that's just 
you know, this is probably the heaviest that they are on the record. You could have seen something similar to this on, on some of the other records. It's a fine song. It just doesn't feel like the last song. What do you think? Yeah, I would agree. I think um, this to me sounds the most like what I would call old Van Halen or, you know, the earlier albums, especially sort of the third and fourth album. If you leave Diver Down, it's kind of an odd uh, album by itself. But I, I love the sound of it. I love... Uh, just some of the wordplay Dave uses in the lyrics, but I agree it, it it is kind of an odd song to end the album on. Now, see, I, at first I thought, oh well, Drop Dead Legs that outro would work, but I actually loved out Drop Dead Legs for the A side because it makes me want to turn the record over. Mm-hmm. This, yeah, I, it it doesn't end on a, like a, a really uh, powerful note, and it de- it doesn't go out on sort of the the more melodic uh, ballad kind of thing. And yeah, as a last song i think it's kind of unfortunate because especially when you put it right after um the previous song a lot of times i think for some people they stop the tape or they stop the album and they never got to it hmm. because it's it was one of those things that you had to get through the previous song to get to right uh, cds have kind of changed that and i mean to a certain extent it's it's a little bit of a shame that um, CDs and now MP3s and things they've eliminated the ability or at least the um, tendency to listen to an album from beginning to end, so to, to sort of appreciate the journey. I also am very big on the, the last song on the album should make me want to either turn the album over and start again or at least make me feel like it's 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 a finale. Yeah, and it's finished something and. That's the, that's the only thing I can say, you know, like I said, a minor quibble uh, at best. That's the end of the record there. So, Michael, tell me, what are your final thoughts about this record? I, I think about it and I was I was rather astonished that it's been almost 40 years. And then as we had uh, discussed via email, we had terrible timing or really great timing for this because we had chosen this almost a month ago. And then last week with Eddie's passing, it was it seems so timely and at the same time very unfortunate that we we're going to discuss probably one of his greatest riff albums probably one of his most iconic albums if you think about the the one that most people have heard or have been exposed to and probably converted a lot of people at least in our generation to van halen fans it astonishes me that this is this album would be by today's standards classic rock and you know has been for quite some time so it hasn't yeah. you know not that unusual but yeah it's a shame that we're talking about this and and having to talk about Eddie Van Halen in the past tense when obviously we first set this up that was uh, not the case and so this is an album that I listen to every once in a while I'll definitely throw on I'll wait more often like if I'm just kind of cherry picking through like a like an 80s run or something but one that I've you know had a, a really good time revisiting cuz when we first talked about it about a month ago, I went ahead and threw it on the turntable and flipped it over. And then of course, a couple of times in the last couple of days, just to make some more coherent notes about it. And this is just one of those important records for me. And it stands out, even though I think I I probably like Van Halen one and or uh, fair warning a bit better. This is still a a very special record for me. One that, that is kind of close to my heart because of that, because this is, I feel what turned me from a casual listener into a fan. And that's the credit I'll always give to, to Van Halen. It's still a really good record and it holds up and it still amazes me that people think of this as the keyboard record when there's really only two keyboard tracks on it, right? Three with the intro, let's say. Um, Yeah. It's one of the, one of the many records that has just like a different hype than it has a reality. You know, if you can look past some of the, uh, some of the goofier lyrics or whatever, this is just a, it's a, 
it's a fun record and I'm, I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the lyrics are, are, as we've said, they're, they're, they're goofy and they can be uh, juvenile, but they're, they're still solid. I mean, you can, you can sing along with them. Jump still has, it's just got a great feel to it. And then you get to Panama and you get the, all these double entendres and the car and the sex. And when I was, you know, 14 i was like i don't know which one he's singing about i'm confused uh <laughs> and i still am i i listen to it and i'm like he says he wrote about a car but i'm just not convinced about that at times and then it just had all these classic bits you know with, with eddie's lamborghini in there and then those, those fantastic drums and and just all of these things i actually went back and looked at the videos this past week and even the videos are fascinating because it's just so 80s. And at the same time, they're, it's like big hair, big straight stadium rock, you know, larger than life. But then I watched Jump and Jump is such an intimate, cheap video. Yeah. It's like shot on what looks like a handheld camera and it's completely not what you would expect. So from that standpoint, I think even the MTV era, they, they just hit everything perfect. And in certain ways, it was really unfortunate that for whatever reasons, I, I mean, from what I've read, Dave wanted to become a, a movie star. Everything kind of went sort of sideways there. But we probably don't completely agree. But see, I'm, I'm also a big uh, Sammy Hagar fan, too. So for me, it, it went in a different direction. And it's also something I love just as much. I get that. And I've never been a big fan of Sammy Hagar. I mean, I understand he's got a fantastic voice. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take away from the man's talent and you know, his stuff as a solo record or stuff with Montrose is still worth revisiting. I just really wish Van Halen would have taken a two year break from each other, just gone somewhere, yeah. done something and then reconvened as Van Halen. That's really what my wish would be. The Dave's follow-up album, the, fir the first solo album was really good. And was was very Van Halen. Well, sure. If you, you, know, if you listen to the actual yeah. lyrics and the content. And he even said that, I remember, because I like that record, but I haven't listened to that one in a million years. And he said that, you know, when people said it sounds like Van Halen, it's like, well, maybe I was more responsible for the sound of Van Halen than you guys wanted to give me credit for in the first place. So I think there is something to that. And he put together a crackerjack band who. Yeah, that all, was a crazy band. All somehow look kind of like him. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that was that's like superstar band. But yeah, I can totally see that. But the, at the same time, Steve Vai, the guitar stuff on that album doesn't does not sound like Van Halen. That to me is is very different. But the whole, I mean, the, just the, the conceptual feel of it was Van Halen. So it's it's really, you can't take, you can't really separate out Dave's contribution from the rest of the band. I think it's really important to realize that together they made something that was, that's what, I mean, millions and millions of people love. That's true. Well, Michael, thank you so much for stopping by. I really appreciate it. Once again, I would like to urge my listeners here to check out The Cute Urchins on Spotify. Now, Michael doesn't play on any of these tracks yet, but he will. And you will be there to listen to it because obviously after the show, you've gone right to Spotify and you have started to follow the band. So you can hear about all the things they have coming up in the next year. If you have made it this far, why don't you go check out my website at www.lovethisrecord.com. You can find out all my old episodes there, along with another podcast that I do called Album Side, where I listen to one side of vinyl and drink a beer. It's my slightly, uh, slightly pretentious solo side project, as I like to call it. 
Uh, and that's the only place that you can find it because, well, there's music playing in the background and I don't know if I can upload that anywhere else. So you can, you can check that out on the website. So thank you very much for joining me, taking some time out of your day. I do appreciate it, Michael. Uh, thank you and goodbye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening. You can find all of our episodes at loveusrecord.com. Intro and outro music by The Ashes of Grissom. And thanks as always to original patron, Mark Evers.